You're listening to Red Center, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's Red Center. I am uh, joined, of course, by Jason Wingrove. How are you, sir? I'm very well, mate. How are you? Good. Congratulations on reaching 70 episodes. Thank you. Same to you. Same to you. Can I just also thank you guys for listening? Um, We got our... We get stats done independently on the shows, um, and we got last month's stats, and there was like a huge uh, jump that we've been seeing. We've been seeing steady increases in the listeners to Red Center, but it's really taken off, and I guess... Just humbly, I want to say thank you. Oh, look, same to you. I couldn't do it without you. I really appreciate everybody listening. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Uh, 70 is, doesn't seem like a very big number, but man, that, that's, that's, you know, two and a half plus years of research and blogs and as you guys, <laughs> it's a lot of water under the bridge in that, in that very small time. Yeah, as you guys know, we don't put out a weekly podcast, uh, mainly because Jason and I obviously are working, but also because we think that about fortnightly works better for there being available news as opposed to, um, you know, doing stuff uh, just every single week and yeah. therefore having kind of lame... Um. <laughs> we schedule the, sh- the shows around things that are happening. Yeah, and so that's exactly what we're doing uh, this week. We're scheduling this show precisely to pick up on the announcements from uh, Canon at the Canon Show in New York, and in a moment we'll be crossing to our New York correspondent... Um, <laughs> Uh, coming to us at the end of what will be what Thursday show in New York, yeah, yeah, exactly. okay, and we'll um, be discussing everything that's uh, that's been happening there, and there's obviously some really interesting stuff happening there with 4K Canon cameras, um, but that's all uh, coming up later in the show. I'm um, also. I don't know. We normally do a shout-outs at the end of the show, but I actually wanted to do a shout out if I could at the beginning of the show, Jose. Yep. Um, uh, our very good friend. Uh, and uh, fellow Flame user, Scott, uh, Flame user, I should say, Red user, Red user. Uh, Scott from um, uh, Red Rocket Rentals in uh, New Zealand has actually just uh, decided to move from uh, doing his uh, stuff that he's been doing with um, Red and renting cameras and working with the New Zealand film community uh, over to working for Sony. Yeah. And we think this is a good uh, move because we like having friends in Sony. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, we have a lot of respect uh, for him. So if you're in New Zealand and you're part of the New Zealand film community, um, as I said, Scott is now uh, the new account manager over at uh, Sony. So I just wanted to give shot- Scott Webster a shout-out. Um, as I think it was about the 20th of September, he's over at Sony. And uh, yeah. I think he jokingly refers it to moving to the dark side, but I think we only jokingly refer to Sony as some sort of like the dark side. But I think clearly they've... Um, you know, they've never stopped innovating and have been involved in not just their cameras but other people's cameras. Well, I think the really key thing is that, uh, you know, if you were in broadcast television, like you were doing uh, rugby, you were doing soccer, you were doing some kind of major Olympic event, um, if you were doing anything to do with news gathering and ENG crew covering, you know, the uh, next fall of a Berlin Wall or whatever, the camera you're most likely to pick up is probably going to be what, either a Sony or a Panasonic. But also their involvement in, you know, development of their own F-35s, Genesis, uh, and, you know, not just making cameras, but the chips for a lot of stuff that we're actually shooting on, whether we know it or not. Well, yeah, and of course, increasingly, their line of uh, stills cameras. Um, so, look, yeah, uh, we'd, yeah absolutely. we'd actually like to include a bit more uh, Sony coverage in this show, um, you know, not uh, swamping it or anything. So this is partly us wishing... Uh, Scott, uh, the best one, partly us just sucking up to him, so he'll send us um, more info on what's going on. in the loop. At, uh, but, you know, like, I think the, the fact of the matter is that um, 
we have a real interest in digital cinematography. Obviously, it's the nature of the show, and that has increasingly been uh, a red then Canon game. But I've got to say, if Nikon suddenly astonished us, we'd be happy to, to go there as well. We, we get accused of being fanboys, obviously. Um, I, I think, actually, we are fans of anyone that is innovating and trying to do you know, cool stuff. Well, fans of gear, as I've said a million times, fans of gear that makes, me want, makes you want to grab it and go shoot or get up in the morning or whatever it is your whatever your gig is if it makes you want to do it or inspires you to get out of bed and, and use the thing then then yeah we're a fan of it and not because it's just an interesting piece of geekery just because because of what it lets you do yeah so as we, as jason said we we schedule these shows a little bit um obviously either fortnightly or around events the the big event this week is this uh expo in uh, new york with canon but the next uh, thing on the schedule is actually next week with IBC. Now, IBC starts uh, in Amsterdam around the uh, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. And so we'll be doing a show next week, only in one week's time, from London. I'm uh, heading over. We have, You'll uh, be doing it from London. Well, we, we're doing it. You, you just won't be there <laughs> no. in London. I'll be listening to you from the other side of the world again. Oh, come off it. The last buddy thing was no, it's Vegas. And you've got I'm, lots of photographs I'm, taken I'm by joking. you in Vegas of us I'm, I'm joking. under house arrest. I'm joking, yes. Um, but my point in bringing this up is that we already have interviews lined up with Ted from Red. We also have interviews lined up with the Foundry, the latest on the Storm stuff uh, and what's going on. So probably a bit more uh, Red-centric next week. Uh, this week will be a bit more Canon-centric. Um, and uh, that'll be coming out hopefully on about uh, Friday of next week. So if you're interested in what's happening at IBC and, and stuff that's happening in Europe... Uh, that's next week's show, and this week, as I say, in a minute, we'll be crossing over to uh, New York and picking up what's happening in America. Those shows like IBC are rapidly, as PMA will be, these shows are, shows are rapidly, were what were probably stills-based or, you know, uh, more tech-based, as we probably saw with, with, with NAB. They're, gradu- they're very rapidly becoming more gear-based and or cinematography-based. Well, you remember, IBC is an interesting one for Red because it was uh, in the tent... The second, it was like their second big show. Like they did the NAB launch. Remember they did the showing of the shot of the car and the girl drink. It was like the first shot yeah, we ever saw milk. out of the red one was shown at IBC. Yeah, Milk Girls. Milk Girls, yeah. Mm. And it'd be interesting to see what um, uh, Red have at IBC this year because, of course, uh, we know that the epics are out in the field, albeit sort of covertly. Yeah. So yeah, will we see definitely. epic footage? We've not seen much epic footage so far. It could be uh, the case. They don't think Red has a a stand per se at IBC. They have a presence on multiple exhibitors' booths. In other words, people like the foundry that they're partnering with. Right. Oh, well, maybe they're yet to... Oh, well, it's a bit... It's not, it's not far off, actually. I guess I was going to say they're probably yet to announce what their presence is, but maybe... I think maybe they'll just be wandering around. Yeah, on, on Red User, they put out the where we're going to be, like whose booth we're going to be on kind of thing at, right. uh, at IBC. But look, I know that uh, they're going to be over there. As I said, um, we're hooking up with... Uh, the guys and uh we're looking forward to doing that also we're going to hook up with the uh, british cinematographer society Fantastic. in london um terrific obviously jason and i are both based in sydney though uh, fx phd and fx guide obviously offices in los angeles and chicago we really do want to keep this as international as possible and later in the year we hope to be doing some stuff out of asia um and possibly even korea so yeah this is all stuff that um that uh, we hope to be able to bring you. But just as I'm speaking, uh, I see that Jim uh, has appeared. So, Jace, if you just want to uh, do the intros, I'll just sort that out technically behind the scenes. Okay, right. Yes, well, so now we're talking to Jim Goodaldick from, uh, well, ex of Hollywood, and now, in his own words, uh, I guess, 
uh, tech nut and camera slut. Uh, and I guess freelance visual effects artist these days, I guess we call you, Jim. Hey, Jim, how are you? Good, how are you guys? Good. So live from New York, it's – no, sorry, I just always wanted to do that. Um, I'm a big Saturday <laughs> Night Live fan. So um, uh, thank you so much for talking to us. It's the end of your day. You've been at the Canon Expo today? Yes, all day today, early early this morning after a long line waiting for uh, Expo Pass. So I guess uh, we just have one huge question to lead off. 4K on a tiny sensor, WTF that? Yeah, d- uh, there were a lot of people that kind of hovered around that section and that camera for quite some time. Uh, a lot of people wondering what it was doing there and trying to get information from the Canon reps and, and other guys working there, like, why, where does this fit in? So let's just fill it in for people that don't know what's happened. Um, Canon has uh, shown at the show a actual set of working prototype cameras. Is that correct, Jim? Uh, I guess you could call it... They were very clear on, on saying that it was a concept camera, and they even used the analogies of uh, talking about how we would see a car in Detroit uh, be a concept yep. car and it may never, you know, come out. That being said, though, uh, they were working. Uh, y- you could say that they were working. A lot of it was uh, kind of hidden as far as the guts of the camera, and I really had to hang around that, that section of the, uh, I guess you would call it the booth, to kind of dig more information out. So when you say they were not, I mean, I've seen photos. There's a there's a thing that looks like, um, well, not really an SLR, but more mm-hmm. of a kind of a... Dog's ass. Sorry? Sorry. No, no, what did you say? I think it looks like a slapped ass. It's oh, like slapped ass. I you said donkey's ass. Camera. Sorry, the elephant in the room. This is the most ugliest yeah. little... Okay, I think they're very wise to call it a um, concept camera. Because, anyway, but uh, it, yeah. it looks more like a, an integrated unit. It looks more like with more a medical fixed lens. Really. Did it have a fixed yeah. lens? Yes, it is a fixed lens. It, uh, it's basically one encompassing body. The lens is attached to that. It almost looks like a, a, a little speaker. If you've seen the side views of it with the, yeah. with the Canon emblem, it almost looks like a speaker. Um, and it has on the, on the right side of it an almost uh, what they're calling a kind of digital SLR type of grip to it but if you were to go up to the one that wasn't in a plastic case and actually try to grab it you as you would a regular uh, digital slr it uh, uh, ergonomically it has a very weird feel like if it was off of the the uh, tripod mount it, it probably would feel weighted to more towards the backside than the lens it looks more med- like a, almost like a medical camera or for some other use other than um you know, other than cinematography or photography. Just to, sorry, before we get too deep, because I just want to set the stage. So this camera is sitting there. It's aimed at a static set. Uh, but my point is it's actually rolling. There's a little LED on top of it. There's also a viewfinder. Both of those are seeming to work. But more importantly, there's a 4K monitor that's also by Canon. Is that right? That's playing what we're seeing off this static kind of little set? The How it is is there it, uh, the camera... Um, which is this, if you can see in some of the pictures, and I have some uh, lots of pictures for you guys, is that there, uh, there's basically a little box underneath it that has a lot of the in- internals of the camera, and it's running uh, uh, quad HDSDI, 
and that's how they're getting the feed ah. out to the Canon okay. uh, 4K. There's a 30-inch monitor, uh, which is Canon's 4K, and they also had larger monitors, which were uh, gaffer-taped black uh, to cover up <laughs> the competitor's name. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay, so so this is um, is so so let's that set the scene for us. So this the WTF for me is that this sensor in in a week when Canon's been announcing and showing in press releases vast sensors, and we'll come to those in a second. I mean by that a very large per millimeter squared uh, size sensor. This is a, an actually a, a very small sensor inside. Yeah, it's a it is a eight megapixel two third inch uh, chip in there, and uh, trying to get information other than that was pretty mum on a lot of the sensor technology for the for the four K camera. It, uh, uh, when I asked the first question, I asked them is, uh, "Can you tell me anything about the dynamic range of this camera?" And the uh, the Canon rep was. Uh, pretty shocked he was like you know out of two days so far with the press conference the day before and uh me hitting him up in the afternoon he said you're the first person to ask anything about dynamic range and i was pretty shocked about that too uh, actually uh, it's it's a poor indictment that that would be the case yeah, because testament to the whole event maybe yeah i mean really because uh if you're a real cinematographer uh the size of the sensor uh is an indicator to depth of field, and of course the the 4K is great. But you know what you really want to know is um, is what the latitude is on it. Um, let me ask you this: Did they discuss anything about what was coming out or what could be recorded? I mean, is there a notion that, like an SLR, this is a, a sort of an H.264 or an MPEG or something, or was it sort of that this is an uncompressed? Well, it sounds like it's uncompressed if you said it was quad uh, HDSDI. HDS, yeah. um, when I when I asked the guys a couple I asked a couple guys that kind of rotated through uh, through that area and uh, anything to do with uh, codec recording to solid state or not they were uh, pretty adamant at saying that uh, they don't know and they um, couldn't say anything right now other than currently it's just a concept. So really, they're just saying, "Look, Ma, we're looking at 4K too." I guess basically. So let's just... so let's discuss the concept, right? I mean, let's discuss the concept because they've put it out there f- exactly to get this kind of feedback. And mm-hmm. and honestly, I respect you and Jason an enormous amount, and I really would be curious on your opinions. So ha- let's say it was a production-ready camera, maybe a different uh, ergonomic design. Let's leave that out for a second. But somebody like Canon, as reliable and as robust a company as they are, because they are comes out with a 4K camera that outputs uncompressed HDSDI, but off a small chip. Jason, any use to you? Uh, no. I think the zoom lens is also looks like it. The, the lens that's bolted onto the thing looks like it's mm-hmm. um, a variable speed lens. Looks like it goes from, you know, three to four, 4.5 or so. So it's a sliding iris. You know, not a constant, not a constant iris lens. Uh, no, not really. I mean, you know me, I'm a depth of field nut. Um, anything that's two-thirds of an inch, unfortunately, sort of has, is dead to me. Jim? Uh, I, I have to side with Jason on that. Uh, as far as the lens goes, what, uh, what I could find out and what I could see was that it's uh, a fixed 7 to 140, and it's uh, at its uh, widest at open. It's 1.8 to 3.8, I believe, and it's a 20x zoom. So 
Right. But those are stats based on it being a two-thirds inch sensor, right? Yes. So we'd have to do a 35 equivalency because it wouldn't be a 7 mil in 35 equivalency. 24 to 480 is uh, what, I'm, what I'm reading here on the, uh, in equivalency? the banner. Yeah. Okay. So look, uh, because the, the, the question I would pose to you both, and, and I think we're already starting to address this, is if you take away the 4K-ness of this camera uh, and the raw recording, is there anything to get excited about? I don't, I don't see anything to get excited about with it. Nope. I mean, I think it, it's interesting that to, to, I guess, to say that they are thinking in 4K, they're thinking in higher resolution, they're thinking that, uh, you know, clearly cinematography or people who, who are talking about moving image are interested in in higher res and... Um, uh, but clearly, but look, this comes out clearly the same dynamic day range doesn't sort of feature and or chip size. But this really comes out the day the that Apple announces the new Apple TV that only goes up to 720p. And so my thing is, if you were making, as a director, Jay, something and you shot in 4K, which obviously you do with a RED, that's great. But you have no practical reason to master anything in 4K, do you? Apart from, no, anything in the future to go to... to um you know, just for cinema release, no, but anything for broadcast, I've resigned myself to the fact that uh, essentially 720p and H, you know, compressed, no, compressed H264 is going, is, you know, is ru- ruling. I'm sure even cable HD these days is, you know, essentially it's it's sort of poor man's HD. And, and yeah. And Jim, from your point of view, uh, if you are servicing, say, the independent film market in New York, um, they're not going to get excited about a fixed lens, two thirds inch chip. So this is not the filmmaker's camera is it no definitely not and and i asked that guy, uh one of the guys there and basically what he said is uh, they they had a lot of medical imaging uh technology at, at the expo as well which was there there was a lot of it there too um and a lot of it was really cool so i asked him what what is the market for this camera and he, the first thing he said is you know this isn't generally marketed towards anything right now because it's concept but Mm. you know he said you know 4k medical medical imaging which has been mentioned by a bunch of people uh but you know the the medical imaging uh field has used things like uh last year uh a doctor used uh, a red for the 4k for laparoscopic surgery Mm. so i can i can see it for that the i would see it to be a little bit smaller to really get you know get in there for uh, kind of non-obtrusive <laughs> stuff. It just sounded like you were saying they small enough for laparoscopic <laughs> work, but uh, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Even Detroit, when yeah. they're making a concept car, they have a clear idea of who it's aimed for. Some it, this is well, for like a cross train. This is for people who are active outdoor people, or this is for the guy yeah. with a ton of money with a on his I, second. It's wife. okay to have a concept car, or even for that matter, if you go to uh, what is it? Um, Milan or Paris for fashion shows. I'll have and have outrageous pieces to attract attention, because the money is always in. I the think bulk. you hit the nail on the head there, Mike. This is uh, uh, something to, uh, to 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 hit. The- well, look at all their other announcements. They've done their 120 megapixel chips. They've done this huge, almost A4 size chip. Um, the 4K cameras, even though they're really no one even knows who who they're suited for. Clearly, they're just sort of. It's a part of the their their sort of slow climb into into. I mean, um, it's it's reasonable to show this thing and see whether there's any demand for it. If anyone gets excited, or if any particular groups sort of, you know, I think that if you're going to run a show this big, and clearly 
from the sound of things, Jim, this this camera not only was it uh, kind of a prototype in the sense of, uh, but it was a bit of a cludge because you know there was sort of stuff under the table, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I, I don't have a problem with them doing it, but I just don't think for our industry I see the fit because I think the mix is wrong. And and I guess that's my, my point. I don't think between the three of us we can find that it's hitting the right sweet spots. Look, if you could get a 4K camera with one of these new large sensors that output RAW, that, that's a discussion I can get uh, in on. Or you give me this camera and tell me that it has astonishing dynamic range, mm. I can probably get in on it. Um, I think if you were... If you were saying that you're going to be doing like broadcast work, and at the top of the show, Jim, before you came on, we were talking about Sony, for example, who does a lot of you know broadcast cameras and stuff. And uh, you know you want large depth of field because you don't want the guy out of focus. Um, if you're doing an interview or you're running down the streets filming ENG, you don't want shallow depth of field uh, because if the shot's out of focus, it's it's no good. Which you yeah. tend to get from these smaller chip cameras. Even if you did, uh, and the one thing we haven't discussed is you know stereo applications. Obviously, shooting in 4K stereo, but then again. You really don't want the fixed lens, or you certainly don't want this physical size and um, and setup because you'd be wanting to master the two together. And there was no indication that there was anything. Uh, so I, I haven't seen a sweet spot that we kind of like am hitting with this in our industry. But stop me if, if you guys do. No, I mean I guess it's good that they're out there and they're sort of talking to the community. And maybe this is just a good sounding board for people. But to be honest, if they really want to know what people want, they don't need to don't need to have a big Canon Expo and put really weird, ob- obscure concept cars type cameras uh, in front of them to, to, to find out what people want. You know, they can just ask, ask us or, 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 go <laughs> yeah. to, or go to ProLost. Well, let's keep going with this technology and we'll move on to then some of the more practical uh, stuff they're actually sort of about to put into the stores. Um, we, we alluded to this earlier. They have had a, a astonishing array of press releases in the last week flagging incredible advances in the size of sensors that they're getting and, for that matter, the dynamic range that those sensors are managing to pull off. Um, and some of these are ridiculously large. I mean, to the point of being uh, absurd, I would suggest. Um, Jase? Uh, yeah, there's one. I f- forget the stats, but uh, I think it's you know literally about 200 or so millimeters uh, square. I think it's 300 mil. It's 300, is it? It's close to 300. So it's almost like literally like getting a piece of paper, uh, A4 paper, and then fold one edge of it so it's a square square piece. We're talking about this size of uh, CMOS, uh, which is just nuts. I mean, I have no idea what the application, whether this is astrophysics or whether this is uh, mapping or what the what the application for this chip is. But uh, I'd love to see the lens that goes with it. <laughs> they, they said that. Uh, uh, we wouldn't be seeing any of this in any type of camera we can buy. This would be something like that is like meant for space exploration, like we'd see in a new Hubble or something they like that. They did say with this chip, they don't, I don't remember it ever being mentioned what the actual megapixels of it is, but uh, they did say that, that whole sensor array is actually capable of doing 60 frames a second. Uh, I'm not sure what sort of quality you get out of it or whether that's, you know, we're dealing with the, literally the raw output, um, but uh, 60 frames... I would love to slide that into a 10 by 8 view camera back and shoot uh, uh, shoot motion with it if it's literally capable of 60, frame, 60 frames a second. Um, you'd need to carry around your Cray XMP1 supercomputer in your backpack to be able to capture all the data, but uh, uh, I, it's fascinating to see how you could actually physically use the thing. Yeah, yeah I have uh, the specs that I do have, so it's... It's named the Ultra High Sensitivity CMOS Sensor Camera. It's a 300 mil wafer size CMOS sensor. Um, it is the applications that they're suggesting is used for is suitable for astronomic telescope, 
Uh, large size optics combined with large size sensor enables maximum use of very faint incident light. And it's saying that the sensitivity uh, to capture clear human facial expressions under one lux luminance. Naked eyes can barely see the movement of these objects. Wow. Yeah. And cool. Yeah, and, and this it's is, like, again, specialist stuff. I think it's 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 good to know that research is being done, um, but, yeah, way not in the zone of something that's going to make any impact on a production you're bidding on in the next <laughs> yeah. career no, cycle. Interesting. I mean, interesting. If you look at the sensors next to... They, you know, I have a picture for that we can put in the show notes, but it's it's ridiculous. Like it's as big as a box of cereal, and they have a full frame uh, sensor next to it, and it just it dwarfs it by so, yeah, so and, much. And and quite frankly, as as Jason said, like I want to see the lens that goes with that because yeah, well, I guess you are. Well, you, I'm sure you do if you go to go to go to your nearest uh, um... Hubble telescope. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay, so, so you can. Un- Let me ask you Definitely. what this uh, other thing we heard about before we get to the more practical stuff, which was a, a single-shot multi-band camera. Now, what's that? Um, the single-shot multi-band camera was pretty much under under some wraps here. It was that the uh, the single-shot could see six more colors than the human eye could. And six. they had... Sorry, yeah. sorry, just six? Just six. Okay. Which ones? Are they, yeah, are, yeah, are, are they nice not? <laughs> are they that's, that's what I asked. And, and this is where it was kind of hard because they they had kind of like bodies filling the floor at some of the, uh, uh, at some of the stands or some of the kiosks. And it was like, you know, you could tell right away when you asked a certain question that it just flew over uh, a certain person's head. Um, okay. And I, I was able to speak to one of the uh, engineers from Japan and basically asked, you know, sensor size, things like that. He couldn't say uh, really what it was uh, that it was. I know what type of sensor it is in that camera. It's an uh, APS-H uh, sensor for that. And it is 50 megapixels. 50 megapixels, yes. And uh, if you look at um if i don't know if you guys have seen the pictures of it yet uh on any of the press releases but it basically almost looks like an si2k yeah where it looks just like the sensor block and um what i asked them is they had a setup where it almost looked like a vg uh vga cable coming out of the back of it but when i asked him he said that is a proprietary concept uh connection to the to the large monitors they had and the monitors that they had weren't Canon monitors. They were another competitor. One of the things that I took a kind of scooted behind so I can try to take a peek at how they were running it was uh, it was being run uh, by quad DVI, almost like how the you could do it with the rocket carts up to these behemoths. They had to be larger than, uh, you know, they were probably roughly, I would say, maybe like a 65-inch. And on the side, you could see the slots for these uh, these quad uh, DVI inputs with HDMI as well on there. I couldn't really tell if it was Sony or Panasonic, but um, they, they were behemoths. I mean, they were as far as its depth. You could tell that these were these might have been some early uh, 4K monitors as well right. because they they. I don't, nowadays, you would never see anything this thick. So there was a lot of probably guts that were, you know, being concealed in the back of these of these monitors. So, Canon, if you're listening, uh, develop more on that. You can sort of leave the uh, 
you know, you can leave the uh, 4K camera just at the airport and move on. <laughs> but uh, the camera that can see colors that we can't, that uh, is um, 22 megapixel or 50 megapixel APS-H that fits into a small module, uh, you may start, start playing with that a bit more. Okay. Well, they, they, I, well, they did say what applications they were kind of uh, for, for oh, yeah. that multiband is that they said uh, examples were uh, forensic science uh, yeah, because right. they, they almost uh, they alluded to things like uh, kind of doing a layman's term. They were like, well, if you hold up a black light, you, you kind of see what is being hidden behind that. Um, and they kind of alluded to that uh, uh, analogy uh, describing the multiband camera. And it yeah. um, it is they actually had a tilt tilt shift lens on there, um, mm. which uh, I'll send you guys so you can see it. But uh, a, a lot of the connection was uh, pretty proprietary. It says um, some of the notes that I have on it, and it says that the six color filters mounted on the CMOS sensor enables a color distinction. Um, that can't be determined by the human eye, nor by oh, RGB doing it. Yeah. color systems. Mm. So yeah. it's a different CMOS array. It's a different yeah. uh, deep layer. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a 50 million pixel CMOS sensor. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, okay, well, that's yeah, fun with dyes. Yeah. Okay, so let's shift gears and talk about some sort of real practical stuff that uh, we... Um, saw also announced at the show. There's obviously stuff beforehand. Um, let's start with the 60D because that's been out, um, but you presumably got to see one up close and personal and stuff and just get us your, your opinion on what the ergonomics look like with that flip-out screen because a lot of us have been saying that we think a flip-out screen is a really good idea. Do you hold with that? Uh, yeah, I, I messed with it and they, it was cool because they had a, it was really a lot of hands-on and um, where the 60D, where, I'm, where I played with the 60D, they had it um, in this little section where they had ice skaters and they, and they almost had like a little Rockefeller center rink yeah. and um, they were using some kind of tile thing that these ice skaters would skate around on and they had all the different types of digital SLRs, point and shoots, handy cam, you know, um, the palm, palm quarter uh, offerings and a lot of the new lenses. So they had the 60D uh, up there with the 70-200 to 2.8 which is you know, everybody's dream lens. And it was, you know, when I picked it up, obviously all the weight is in the lens there, but having, having a 70 and 5d, um, it, it felt, you know, with the weathering of, of the seventies body, it, you could tell it has some more plasticky type of, uh, a feel to it. But when you pop out the, the screen and you flip it around and, you know, you're not looking through, uh, the viewfinder there, and you just start rifling off some sequences. It was uh, it was pretty nice to have yeah. that little flip out screen there. Can imagine how fan- and, fantastic it would be if you put a you know a Z finder on on that LCD and then be able to flip it out and be able to look down through a Z finder or look up. Oh, okay, so you're thinking you're mounting fantastic. the Z finder? Uh, well, I'm to- purely thinking, yeah, motion. Yeah, okay. Mm. The, that. This, yeah, that would be cool. The one thing is, I I, I would tend to be careful with that because of if you know how the swivels work on most of those uh flip out screens is that if you put too much weight you probably yeah crack crack it because it does have I, yeah i could of, see a hoodman on there like a little hoodman as in you can def- still see the def- lcd without any kind of magnification mm. but your eye doesn't press up against anything that presses up against it because i think otherwise it would just 
turn. Ah, uh, well, life will find a way. Someone will have an life aluminium bracket. Life will find bracket. a way, yes. Um, hey, yeah. look, they showed this um, of interest to me anyway. This 18 to 14 uh, millimeter 2.8 um, fisheye. Yeah. Uh, it's of interest to me because I do HDR work and I do it on a 5D and so I want full frame sensor and I use an 8 millimeter uh, Sigma to do that. Um, I guess my question to you guys is uh, do you think there's much use for this? I mean, I have a technical use for it, but do you think there's much use for a fisheye? It's a, it's a very distinctive shot of the fisheye look and it's so yes. wide and so bent. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh- I, I talk to a bunch of friends, and a lot of us uh, shoot and film skateboarding and snowboarding, and that is a extremely popular uh, way to shoot by using a fisheye because you get so much of the image, even with um, the barrel distortion of the lens. It's just a very aesthetic thing that has become very popular in, in action sports and, and skateboarding. But, but you'd normally want the 14 of that 8 to 14, wouldn't you? Because you'd want the fisheye butt sort of occupying the frame? Yes. Because I don't think... I don't know there's much use apart from a jumbo jet flying across overhead looking straight up at it um, for the uh, LA International Airport shot that you want to see the 8mm version with black around it for video. I mean, I, I just don't see that shot cutting in very well when you suddenly cut into black on either side. So you really want the... I mean, I guess my question to you, Jim, is if I came up with a 14mm Canon lens that was exactly the same as it, a bit cheaper because it was only the 14 and not an 8 to 14, would that not be more popular? Um, I think I think it would because maybe people wouldn't be using the the, the lower end of the the 8 to 14. But then again, I I. I know guys that like shooting with the the same eight millimeter that you have and use a use a ten mil. So I guess it comes down to what you're shooting and you know what is aesthetically pleasing to you. I mean, if you like being able to see your own feet, um, you know maybe you might you might like shooting on the eight mil end. Well, I guess it's a good wider opportunity for people that have got you know seven Ds and some of the crop sensors or APS-C sensors that. It lets you get a wider. View. Oh, I see. So if you put the because if you put the sixteen to thirty-five on, then obviously on a on a APS on so a, you put on the a, say, in an eight mil mode on a seven D, you're going to get the equivalent of the fourteen. Around there, you're the master. Okay, but, I'm with uh, you. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> although hey, it's although the although the difference with a, a fisheye and say something like the sixteen to thirty-five is that they don't spend a lot of m- money and time and internals on the optics to correct all the distortion. It's all about the distortion, so it is yeah. a very different look. Uh, going to 15 mil on this lens versus, say, the wide end of a 16 to 35 is probably going to look different because oh, yeah, what's definitely. so amazing about the 16 to 35 is that its horizons are flat. You know, it's amazingly Oh, I'm astonished. Corrected. Like the 20 mil that I have, the Canon 20 mil, which isn't even an L-series lens, is astonishingly straight. And that's what makes those lenses, lenses and the shots cool. from them look so amazing that there is but no distortion. Do we have a rough price on this? Because the Sigma that I've got, which is a 3.5 uh, Sigma 8 millimeter specifically for doing HDRs where it is full circular inside the sensor is about 900 bucks street price it's a x12 1300 list but who pays that so i'm talking like 900 for my hdr lens was anyone got a price on this thing the new one now basically it was uh we don't have a price but expensive <laughs> so so i'd be looking at uh sort of you reckon in the 1400 kind of range or, or higher um i mm. i would hope that it wouldn't be more than 1400 but i mean 1400 is kind of a good 
I would say would be a, a good price. I would love it to be yeah. cheaper. But is it an L series? It's an L series. Ah, it's an L series. Okay. It's, a, yeah, it's ultrasonic motor. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's got a rear gel holder. So this is, you know. Oh, does it allow for um, rear filtering? Because rear you literally filtering? can't put anything on the front of this Obviously, thing. Yeah. You're literally going to yeah. see. You're going to see the entire world unless you're unless you're taping on a six by six inch piece of glass. You're not going to. Uh, oh, okay. So this is I definitely going to yeah, be six hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're talking about you know, 180 degree view. So yeah. sure, I, I'm going to stick with my uh, say, Sigma eight mil. Though, you know, I, I, and I think for me personally, like I get the that that is a really good point about the skateboarding. And um, if I was doing snowboarding half pike, I'm sure it would be awesome. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'd probably just clip my eight mil on a seven D and get the the look that I wanted. Well, That's what's cool about it. This is a zoom, and it's not just a fixed eight mil. And you can choose your amount of vignetting because sometimes that vignette. You can actually use that for a bit of artistic effect and you can put a little bit of that in there to sort of justify the incredible fisheye bending world that you've got. But also lets you sort of push in and crop that out without having to blow up an already, you know, resolution starved image. So Yeah. Now, did you get over to see the video cameras, the stuff that effectively looks like the old uh, P two, the um XF one hundred? Yes, I actually spent a lot of time talking to those guys about the uh, the XF105, which has the higher-end features and is being touted for kind of cost-effective stereoscopic work. Um, and after talking to a lot of the guys about, um, about the features or about uh, uh, the camera itself, you know, it it's still able to be uh, i guess the features are still able to be kind of tweaked they haven't said that it's a final build um you know because the cameras don't actually come out into until q1 of uh, 2011 right um so the difference between the uh the 100 and the 105 is that the 105 has the genlock hdsdi and the 100 does not now this is a camera right, that will run sync at, them together this is a camera that will run at 50 megabits per second uh, 422, 1920 by 1080 in 60, 30p or 24p. Thank the Lord for that. Yes. <laughs> um, but it has a fixed 10 times zoom, right? Yes. And, and what's the, and the sensor size, I'm presuming small? Yes, it is. I believe, what is it? A 4220. I think it was a one th- one third on, it, on that one. The thing that interests me about this one, which. Uh, you know, it caught me. I mean, I don't know why I didn't think of this, but this actually is actually being touted as being a good camera for doing infrared shooting, isn't it? Yes, because of the uh, the IRR um, on there. Almost it, the way he was describing it, it was almost like it was their kind of uh, version. Uh, I, I would guess if you were to describe it, something else in the Red World is like uh, with Red's OLPF with their low pass filter. Um, it, it's basically that you know they were touting as. You know, you could you could shoot in almost dark, and you'd still be able to uh, get an image. So from you it. can flip the low pass filter out of the way, can you, or something? Yeah, you like can. The, the old the old Sony night shot filter, you can swap sw- swing it out of the way or something. It's uh, the, it's actually right in the front with the lens, and it's something that there's a switch that you can kind of flick it on and right. off. Yeah, right. And it's uh, it, it's very small. I think it's right actually got front. an infrared emitter with a diffuser. Um, mm-hmm. That'll shoot in green or white to get you really, really amazingly good. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's like a last-minute clutch. I think it actually they tried to make it do this properly. 
Now, they actually were pushing the 3D. They had it on a 3D rig, right, the uh, 105. They were sort of quite adamantly pushing the the, the, yeah. the 3D abilities. So the, the sinking between... Can you sink them? Yeah. Sinking the lenses, yeah. I guess. That's what the 105 gives us, is it? The, the better yes. sink? Okay. Yeah, um, it was on a... Uh, two, they had two setups. They had uh, the, I guess, now leaked uh, uh, Red Rock Micro 3D parallel rig, which actually looks pretty solid. I, I, I picked the thing up, and uh, it, it was probably 10 pounds with, with the cameras and the rig. And it's something very much more manageable. Um, oh. If you were to use something smaller, you can kind of equate it to... Uh, uh, like the uh, the neutron rig for for uh, from Element Technica. But how close uh, can you get these two cameras together? I mean, are we going to get down to the right interocular? Um, not exactly. Like you won't be able to get down to your sixty five mil. But what is cool is they have a feature that lets you change the center axis of uh, the the lens itself. So it's not sampling. <laughs> I, yeah, it's that's exactly what I said, and I was like, "All right, you, you're going to have to show this to me." And yeah, you, you do kind of have diagram. to see it first. So what it does is that in in uh, almost like where the scopes would pop up in like the bottom right half of their uh, their LCD screen is that this little kind of uh, XY grid comes up, and you can go in there and. Uh, I don't want to say you're not going to be able to to change the convergence, but thinking of it as the uh, interaxial, uh, you can change that uh, from one camera to the next. So it's it's basically an uh, OIS lens shift, right? It's the lens shift stuff that Sony's yeah. also been looking at, yeah. Yes. And it does your head in, and it does require diagrams, but basically gives you the effectiveness, the effective. Uh, shifting optically that will um, translate to the equivalent of a reduced interocular. Yes. Okay. So that that was their kind of answer to, you know, as soon as I said, is these are pretty far apart because you know the the little zoom rocker on the thumb it kind of jets out, and uh, when when you see the pictures of them mounted side by side in the in the Red Rock Micro Rig, you're like, well, these are still a bit far apart. And that's when they showed the uh, the, um, the say, technology. In my experience, that. Sony and Canon, like just I'm not talking engineers, not both the fact they're Japanese, but both of those companies, they tend to do this kind of complex optical electronic. Like that's their like sweet spot. Like mm. their worst point is normally UI or or yeah. you know design stuff. But um, yeah. But yeah, when it comes to this kind of stuff, if and I don't know this, but I'm willing to bet that there's a good chance this actually works, because you know it tends to be that that kind of calibratable, controllable, optical, um, electronic stuff is the stuff that the, their engineering teams just eat for breakfast. Well, I guess part of getting this in front of the, pe- the, the trade and industry in various industries is people are going to be able to they're going to people who are interested in 3D are going to get back to them and say, yeah, this is a great idea, develop it more and or move this switch so we can get closer or uh, what do you, you know, this is just, you're, you're wasting your time. And, you know, for a lot of people, uh, having a smaller sensor is going to mean better depth of field, which they kind of want in 3D. So, um, I, I look, I personally don't think the 3D market for this camera is as big as just the straight uh, kind of P2 market, which, you know, is tens of thousands of units a month. Mm. Mm. Um, but I don't think it hurts. Um, 
they, they've also got you know that classic P2 kind of setup of dual XLR inputs, right, and uh, proper yeah, you on, know, audio recording and stuff. Yeah, yeah. On the on the top handle up in the front, they have the uh, dual XLR, and behind uh, the flip out LCD, and they have these two little uh, dual uh, CF slots for the. Uh, for the dual, uh, the dual recording for the cameras. So putting those on top is going to help us as well because also if we were to plug uh, XLR cables in from the side, that would also reduce our capacity. I guess you'd record on just one camera, whichever one was on the outside. But uh, yeah, less, uh, yeah, and and the flip-out screen, just a good high-quality normal LCD, is it? Yeah, it was good. It was good quality. They had a. Um, almost like a horseshoe type of shaped uh, setup where they had a set kind of like a CIS set where they had to the right side, they had the, the two um, uh, Red Rock Micro with the XF uh, 105s. And then along the rest of the table, they had all the different um, 5D, 70s, and then the bigger uh, uh, XF305, which some of this technology has dripped down to the 105 and the 100. Now, that said, though, 50 megabits a second with most of these cameras, I mean, you, you, you eggheads can tell me, I mean, that's it's not exactly fantastic, is it? It's not bad. I mean, 50 I mean, is better five, than 25. 5D territory, is, isn't it? It's, it's uh, not, you know, it's not independent filmmakers get excited level. It's broadcasters think it's okay level. I guess that's that's what the 5D is, though. So I suppose no, I that's guess not it's, good it's it's as you say, it's 50 megabits, but it depends which bits. Yeah, and also you know, like uh, yeah, it's presuming less of a post grade than we would like to assume. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I can imagine their um, PR people are standing there with a big piece of paper with a tally about who's asked about what 4K camera. Yeah, one or two ticks, and then next to it is the thousand and fifty ticks where people asked. Uh, so yeah, the 4K camera is great. Now the uh, 5D Mark III, where where's that? <laughs> hey Jim, if you were looking like let's say I, um, I moved to New York and uh, I get an apartment there and I've settled and the time comes for this show again and we're having a beer the night before are you saying god man I went to that last year you shouldn't miss it because it's just awesome or was it yeah I'm glad I went but really um, you know if you've got nothing else to do it's kind of good if you're in the industry but quite frankly it's all on the net I, I, I think it, that it was good to go because I did see some stuff that they didn't do PR releases about uh, that may never come. But, you know, if I hadn't gone, I wouldn't have seen uh, some of the technology up close and get, I, th- I think it's the hands-on actually like hunting down <laughs> in some cases an engineer to speak to, um, even if it was through a translator uh, because I didn't speak, uh, you know, Japanese. Um, but I-, I think to actually get in there and find someone that, uh, was directly related, whether it was a product manager or an engineer who, um, for example, at the towards the end of the day, uh, talking about the stereoscopic and 3D features or, or possibilities of what the XF105 uh, could be or features we would like to see. Um, I had one of the guys from Canon directly uh, who was involved with the camera uh, line sit there for probably a good hour uh, just jotting down everything and and being like really enthusiastic about getting these feature requests and, and things like that. It's almost like with NAB, um, 
it, it's it's not about seeing the PR releases and the brochures and 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 the cameras because you can do a lot of that at your your local B and H or your local camera shop, but I, I think it's the the FaceTime. You know, um, right. some of the answers that I got from the engineers were. We can't speak about it because uh, we don't know what path it's going to take, whether in case it was about the the 4K uh, displays that Canon is working on or the 4K uh, camera. I, I even heard the 4K camera be described as a, as a, as a hair dryer. And, uh, <laughs> <like> a hair. <laughs> um, but I, I, I would go back. I mean, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't something I would say – Oh, I was really bummed if I had missed it, but I, I think, uh, you know, I, w- I would go back and check it out in, you know, the next five years. Who knows if they'll have uh, an, an 8K camera or whatever K. I, I, I actually, you can clear something up for me. Somebody told me this happens every two years. Somebody else said it happens every five years. How often does this happen? I think it happens every five years. Oh, okay. It's like the Canon Laboratories are some sort of closed shop buried in a mount under a mountain <laughs> with no open windows the bottom of a volcano. and no active internet connection where someone could actually even by accident type red.com and sort of see what the real world is right. is doing right. you yeah. know what i mean or even just say that's a good idea let's do something like that instead let's do some weird hair dryer dental x-ray camera and um some anyway Anyway, uh, it's shutting up. <laughs> Jim, we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us and being our New York correspondent. Thank you, no sir. No problem. Thanks. Thank um, you, guys. And if we can just get your Twitter shout out so that we can uh, – your Twitter name so we can um, direct people to your feed. Sure. It's uh, twitter.com slash filmbot, F-I-L-M-B-O-T. Brilliant. And well, websites again. or anything for hiring you as a freelancer? Uh, actually redoing my website right now, but uh, – uh, my I want a T-shirt I, with that. I'm re- currently rebuilding my website right now. <laughs> yes, I think that's kind of everybody's doing that. But it, it's funny when you know you work on stuff that you can't show for a while. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I don't want to show the old stuff. So okay, um, but website-wise, uh, you can come to uh, After Effects New York, uh, which is the user group that I run with uh, Arm Rabinowitz and uh, FinalCutUser.com. Brilliant. Well, uh, thank again so much for being with us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, my friend. Bye. Thanks. Yeah, and thanks to Jim for that. That was good. Um, So, Jace, what else is happening in the world? Well, I think, well, obviously we covered a whole bunch of the news there. Uh, and I think until we get our hands on, say, a 60D, we'll, um, we'll presume that it's similar to a 7D but with manual audio controls and a swing-out screen. But essentially we'll, we'll call the, the, the uh, 60D as being covered, really. Um, uh, a little bit in red news, uh, I guess. Red are cranking through the, the MX upgrades now. They're doing a great job of getting them in and getting them out and getting them back to people's hands literally in a matter of days versus a matter of weeks and getting up now into the 600-plus serial numbers. So um, pretty much going to see m- most MX, most uh, red ones that will be converted to MX going to be converted to MX soon or get through them all, and then I guess they'll start to then convert the ones they've got on the shelf and if you're going to buy a new red one i guess it'll be an mx rather than it might not be mx at the moment i guess you probably have no option rather than just buy an mx red one right or 
Some other option. I don't know. <laughs> Another choice would be nice soon. Uh, in other red news, the R90, Mike. Have you seen this R90, this little 90-degree uh, rotating rig? Only recently, and I haven't really seen it. I've seen the video of it sort of turning. Um, There's and- not a lot else to glean out of it. Right. Um, I guess- Was that a Canon lens on it? Uh, actually, I didn't even look at the lens. I was looking at the camera to try and see if there was any little Easter eggs in there. But, um, Looks like a Canon lens to me. It actually says Canon. Be. Right, there you go. It's a Canon lens. Uh, scrub through. What does it say in the middle there? 50 mil? I don't know. Um, look, I mean, anyway, what's interesting is... It's like a 24 to 70 Canon L lens to me. Right. But obviously what's... I mean... It's um, it's design. It's obviously it's got an epic on it, but it will will fit a red. What it, is? it will fit a red one. Basically, it's a um, essentially an, a, almost like a Dutch head, which will let you rotate, but only through ninety degrees. What's unusual about it is of the fact that it is just ninety degrees. The average Dutch head will do, or Dutch tilt rig, or rotisserie rig, whatever you want to call it, will actually let you go ninety degrees left or right. This is clearly. Um, more um, built around the whole DSMC stills concept where you can quickly flip, flip from cine use through to stills and or you mean portrait. like portrait to landscape? Yeah, to go yeah. to portrait to landscape because it only goes in one direction. It doesn't let you Dutch either side. Okay. So um, so it's not that useful, useful as a Dutch head as it only Dutches to the left. So... <laughs> So, and also, it doesn't seem to the way the way the heads the way the epic's positioned on it. It doesn't seem to allow any room that I could see for if you wanted to say add rods or matte box or anything like that, because that's going to put the put the lens out of off axis uh, even more than normal. So I think this is really probably more allow. Uh, alluding, this is a stills thing. Alluding more towards a, a stills or sort of hybrid, more of a rig. Because um, the lens say. isn't. Which I mean, they would argue that its weight distribution even. Now, which, yes, but it's not like the lens pivots around the center of your ninety degree tilt either. So the expectation is you would be shooting in landscape, and then I would go, and I'm yeah. now shooting in portrait. Not that I would be filming during the transition. I know there's not much of a trans, not much of a shift there, but you know, stills guys really do want to. You know, there's a lot of money spent on brackets so that you can go from portrait to landscape without changing your your nodal point of the lens. So okay. I think really the rig should be designed to have a little bit of offer access weight distribution so that literally, I mean, because cameras really aren't designed that way. They have brackets and bits and pieces on one side and they've got weight at the back. They're not, you know, they're not this beautiful, completely center of gravity piece of equipment. They're not designed like race cars to be beautifully centered in their weight. So, you know, you should be able to shift it off axis, get the lens right, and, 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 and not worry so much about weight throwing off your bearings of your rig and locking you up and all that stuff. So anyway, it's, what's, obviously it's showing basically that, that there's um, the still size of, of Epic is still very much in, in front of mind. Well, I'm glad I can red. put my red one on it. Yeah, you can put your red one on it, but yeah. only if you want to Dutch one direction. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but it could be nice for 90 degree stuff again like we did with the other day with the um, that, I mean, with, with look, that skull rig it the all Calibera. depends on the price of these things right because yeah. it, it, quite frankly if this is not very expensive then who cares and if it's really yeah. expensive then you expect it to do yeah I mean it's, it things. won't be that expensive it's, it's, a, it's not power this is a passive rig so it's, 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 it's not a you know a servo driven rig it's really designed to um, uh, literally just be a nice 
easy swip, switch over if you know your shooting motion and you want to pop from stills to one or the other. You'd, you'd mount the camera in this and then put it on your, on your O'Connor tripod or whatever. So, look, yeah, I don't think it'll be that expensive, but it is a prototype at this stage and, and uh, I'm sure things will change. But anyway, it's interesting to see. I think it just basically flags that this whole stills thing is still very much. Well, in I think Red's it's interesting that Red are coming out with all these. That would be the sort of thing I would expect to see from Element Technica, yeah, not yeah. from Red. Yeah, there's no mention of their involvement, but I can only presume that they're, that they're involved in this. Well, I mean, there's no reason to think they're involved, is there? No. Mm-hmm. No. Does no, it have I any? Heard, no, no, I haven't heard anything. Do you know anything, anything that you don't? No, I, don't, I haven't heard anything. Okay. Not at all. But um, I think also what's interesting, just sort of hinted around here and there, is that a possible further delays to Epic has been sort of hinted at, but with a plus side that perhaps there'll be, uh, there will be an upside to any further delays. But uh, I'm hoping that, Mike, you'll be able to tweeze that out of Ted with your usual subtle approach when you go see him at uh, IBC. For next week's show. Yes. Um, okay. Well, I don't know if I will, but I will see what I can do. Hey, um, yeah. I actually want to talk to Ted more about um, geeky stuff, actually, because... Quite frankly, I'm, I'm increasingly more interested in discussing that which is out than that which is coming. Yes. Uh, and I want to really discuss with him about ISO stuff. So I actually principally want to talk to him um, to get some really in-depth discussion happening on ISO, to be, to be truly blunt. I will ask him other questions, but that's what my sure. personal motivation is. Sure. Absolutely. And if you have any other particularly pressing technical questions uh, that you want us to geek out on, then um, send them in and I'll check my emails in London before I talk to him beginning of next week. Yeah, look, absolutely. Delays are delays. Well, they are what they are. There's no point, you know, being, not that you would be, but there's no point us or anybody in the forums being negative about, about the delays. We know that they're all busting their ass to get cameras out and they'll come when they come. In the meantime, that's what we've, what we've got and be happy. So um, I, there, I've got to say for next episode, there's going to, I've got a bit of gear coming, so I'm going to be doing some reviews and stuff for next episodes and next coming episodes. Uh, so I don't have any gear reviews for this year. I have one minor. I've actually a couple of minor little gear bits and pieces more for Canon side of things. Uh, I've been playing with and testing out. Um, after, I guess should we call it not non-original batteries for five Ds and seven Ds because they're reasonably expensive down here in Australia. Sometimes these are like yeah, sure. eighty or ninety bucks for a battery. Uh, there's two brands of uh, fake battery, I guess, for the five D and seven D. I've been I've been trying mainly because partly because I've ordered a uh, an, a monitor which is on its way, which has a uh, a five D battery mount on the back of it, so I can actually run it off. 5D mm. batteries, so I've been stocking up. But these, uh, some of these batteries, uh, one of them is basically literally just an absolute Canon ripoff. It comes in a Canon box. It, oh, has, really? it has a little instruction pouch, an instruction manual, and so everything. It's actually like a and has the little, has the little, yeah, absolutely, has yeah. the little yellow clip on the back of the thing. And the other one is made by a company called Photix, who make a lot of sort of aftermarket, should we say, on straight out knockoff of, well, you, of Canon. You never the nod in a week, but is there any reason why they can't not allowed to make a battery? Well, I don't, well, the main reason up till now has been that these batteries are chipped or they're coded so yep. that because they communicate, they don't have a microprocessor in them because they yep. communicate with the camera. Yep. The two problems so far has been the fact that when you put, you can't put them on the factory charger. They don't talk with the charger. They don't charge at all. And when you put them in the camera, the camera does not talk to the battery, so the camera will not be able to tell you what your battery level is. You can't look at the meter and and, and trust it in any way. So clearly somebody clever has cracked cracked the... um, Cracked the chip, or or has um, worked out a way of copying right. it. Right. So, so there's you, now you know, a raft of, of copies for these batteries, and I was expecting this kind of thing to a not work very well, not last very long, 
burn or burn my house down or all of the above. <laughs> um, but I guess it runs the camera perfectly. It actually maybe even charges a little bit quicker than the factory battery. It's got the same milliamp hours, 2,000 milli. Both of them have the same milliamp hours, 2,000 milliamps. Um, works on the factory charger. The camera sees it and talks to it, and you get perfectly, you know, you get you get that battery communication. And some of them were like, I don't know, I think I thirty bucks for two batteries. I think so, about fifteen bucks a battery. What does that compare will, with? Ah, uh, well, I think it's probably something like sixty, eighty, seventy US a battery, or fifty, or sixty, or seventy dollars a battery US, maybe a bit more here in Australia. So I guess the thing to be will be to see how they go on recharges, because if they're holding their charge and not, um, you know, basically sort of failing in how much they hold their charge when recharged. And repeated charges, I guess. Exactly. In six months, well, I'll be still singing the same song. I don't know. Though, um, Hey, your results may vary. Please don't hold me to it. I'll put some tentative links in the show notes, but, you know, don't hold me to it. Hey, uh, I was mainly running the getting these batteries to put on a monitor and just run and destroys your camera. That's right. Do not... Don't blame don't, us. Don't call me. Okay. Actually, just go, yeah, I'm not recommending it at all. Go straight to my I think you should only buy Canon batteries. We should edit this bit out. No, no, that's right. <laughs> I just want them to blame you. Yeah, no, sure, please do. So anyway, I may, as I said, I mainly got these to run on uh, my small HD uh, monitor, which I've, I've ordered, and that has a double, uh, a dual 5D battery plate on the back of it, so it actually lets you run on two 5D batteries. I can run the monitor for four hours and or, you know, hot swap. So I can run it with one or two, and so I thought I'll stock up on these things, but I don't really want to do it at eighty bucks a pop. Um, so yeah, anyway, reviews to come on that monitor when I get it next week or so. Uh, and also, I think in upcoming apps, I just want to start looking at some of these other um, conversion plugins for five D footage because there's a new one out, the five D to RGB plugin. Yes, I'm testing that as we speak. Yes, so uh, obviously that's just beta at the moment. Uh, again, I'll put links in the show notes, but if you Google you know, all in one word five D to RGB plugin, uh, there's a beta version of this plugin floating around. Which uh, is meant to, I think, in the red channel, be a much nicer visual conversion um, than, say, the Canon EOS plugin, uh, and/or be on par with with Grinder. So I think there's a few of these versions of, of plugins we need to have a bit of a roundup on and um, get a bit of a heads up on on what's what's that. The only thing at the moment with the beta is that, you, I, as far as I can find, is that you can only sort of transcode one clip at a time, which can be a bit tiresome if you just if you've used your 5D. At all, because <laughs> you can't. <laughs> uh, who shoots one clip? So, um, obviously, once that comes out of beta, we'll um, be able to review that a bit more. So, lots of stuff to come, and obviously, we'll be speaking to. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a bit of bit of news from you in uh, from IBC. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much to Jim for our New York cross and uh, a little disappointing, I guess, in some respects, but uh, good to know what's going oh, on. Oh, interesting and interesting to get the news from someone Not who's been Jim. there. Not Jim. disappointing, you understand. No, no, no. The Absolutely. canon we were hoping for no, a bit no. more. It's good to have someone on the ground there versus just a blog. Okay. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us, red at fxguide.com. Copyright 2010, FX Guide, LLC.